Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Tradition says that Moses was a tremendous, accomplished military leader in Egypt. Now. Most would look at a man like he is described here, like Moses is described here, as highly educated, a good speaker, an accomplished military leader, as being ready and prepared to lead God's people out of Egypt. Most would think that, but God did not agree, and God did not think so, because God saw what God saw in Moses was not a man who was prepared and ready to lead his people out. God saw a person who was not ready yet to represent God. Now, what was the problem? Well, as an accomplished military leader, why wasn't Moses capable at this point for God, for the leadership position in God's service of leading out his whole people? Why wasn't he? As an accomplished orator, why, with, and here he has the most advanced education that the world could offer, why wasn't Moses qualified to speak for God? If Moses had applied for a secular job, he would have been snapped up right away with his top level of education, his experience. Moses was just the kind of person that companies would be looking for. In terms of education, Moses, he was like a person who graduated the top of his class from Harvard. In terms of accomplishments, Moses was a good military leader. He would be like Dwight Eisenhower or uh, Schwarzkopf. As far as being an eloquent speaker, Moses was as good as Winston Churchill. And that statement about him that's re- that we read in Acts 22 Moses was learned in all the wisdom, it says, of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. That means that in terms of the world's standards, there was only one word to describe Moses, and that's the word qualified. The world looks at Moses and says he is qualified. He is ready for the position. Looking at Moses' education, of his eloquence, of his accomplishments, the world says yes. The world says more than qualified. The world says past. What was the problem? Just one problem. God didn't agree. When God looked at Moses at this point, Moses, as far as God was concerned, was not qualified. Moses, as far as God was concerned, failed. Moses, as far as God was concerned, needed more. And that's the key to the problem. 
that we see in Acts 7.22. Moses was learned in all the wisdom, and these three words, of the Egyptians. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. What was wrong with the wisdom of the Egyptians? The wisdom of the Egyptians valued pride over humility. The wisdom of the Egyptians valued self-promotion over self-denial. The wisdom of the Egyptians valued taking credit for self over giving credit to another. The wisdom of the Egyptians said that true value and true beauty lies within each person's soul and not outside the soul. The wisdom of the Egyptians said that man is inherently good and getting better and better and proving every day and that man is not inherently evil. And left to himself, they did not agree that if man was left to himself, he would become more wicked. The wisdom of the Egyptians said that a person should worship the seen. What is seen? The stars were seen, the sun was seen, animals were seen. So they worshiped the seen, not the unseen God who made the stars and the animals and the sun and so forth. Now that was the wisdom of the Egyptians and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. See, the wisdom of the Egyptians was in conflict with the wisdom of God. The Bible looks at the wisdom of the Egyptians and calls that wisdom the wisdom of this world. And with its pride, with its self-promotion, with its bodily pleasures, with its giving credit and praise to self, with its belief that good is buried inside man, with its belief that man is inherently good, with its decision to worship the seen, that's the wisdom of this world. And the wisdom of this world teaches man that man needs himself and other man, and man does not need God. And he has two conclusions. God has two conclusions about the wisdom of this world. He calls it, as he looks at this wisdom of this world, he looks at it and he says, foolishness. And he looks at it and he says, vain. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 19 through 21. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. So verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 3 gives a summary of what this world, wisdom of this world leads to. It leads to man glorying in men, either man glorying in self or man glorying in other men. Whereas the wisdom of God leads to man glorying in God. And the problem was that when Moses left Egypt, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And that problem was that when Moses left Egypt, Moses was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians, but Moses was not learned in the wisdom of God. When Moses left Egypt, Moses was not learned in humility. Moses was not learned in self-denial. 
Moses was not learned in giving credit and praise to God. Moses was not learned in belief that evil is buried inside man. Moses was not learned in the belief that man is inherently wicked. Moses was not learned in worshiping the unseen God. Moses was not learned in how much he needed God. So the problem was that Moses had to be freed from being learned in all the wisdom of this world. And Moses had to become learned in all the wisdom of God. And Moses was going to get corrected. God was going to correct Moses. And that's the same problem with us. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've had all those years in being learned in the wisdom of this world. Like Moses, we've had years of being indoctrinated that pride is good. Take pride in yourself. And that's pride is what the Bible calls in 1 John 2.16, the pride of life, which is not of the Father, but as of the world. We've been raised to believe that self-promotion is good, which is what the Bible calls in Acts 12, 23, not giving God the glory. We've heard and we've been shown that bodily pleasures are pure, they're healthy, which is what the Bible calls in 1 John 2, 16, the lust of the flesh, which is not of the Father, but of the world. We've been told that in order to build up self-esteem, we should give credit and praise to ourselves, which is what the Bible calls in Jeremiah 9.23, the wise man glorying in his wisdom, the mighty man glorying in his might, and the rich man glorying in his riches. And that verse says that we are to not let any of those things happen. God calls all this giving praise and credit to self. He has a term for it in verse Corinthians 129, where God says this is flesh glorying in his presence. And we've been instructed, we've been instructed that good is buried in man, which is what the Bible calls in Jeremiah 17, 9, being self-deceived by our own hearts, which the Bible says in that verse is our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But we've been trained that man is inherently good, which is what the Bible calls in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool. We've been led to worship the scene at the shrines of money and possession and all the academic shrines, etc., which is what the Bible calls in 1 John 2.16, the lust of the eyes, which is not of the Father, but is of the world. And worshiping at the academic shrines, gaining more and more knowledge without the knowledge of God, is what the Bible calls in 1 Corinthians 8.1, the knowledge that puffeth up. Now Moses through the wisdom of this world, was corrupted with pride and self-confidence. And just like Moses, we, through the wisdom of this world, we've been corrupted by pride and self-confidence. And the problem is that when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we were not learned in all the wisdom of God. 
A person who follows the wisdom of this world, he may be highly esteemed among men. But the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 16, 15, that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. And as with Moses, God wants to correct that problem in us. So the question is, what is God's way to cure us from the infection of the wisdom of this world and to infuse us with the wisdom of God? And God's way to cure us from the infection of this world and the wisdom of this world and to put in us the wisdom of God is the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. That children's song says it all. Now, living in the B-I-B-L-E, living in the Word of God is God's way to remove this infection from us of the wisdom of this world and to replace it with the wisdom of God, which will keep us from being reinfected with the wisdom of this world. Now, with Moses, he had a deep infection with the wisdom of this world. Why? Because he had been so long, 40 years, he'd been the top of the heap there in, in being learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So a deep infection requires a severe treatment to remove the infection. You know, in our clinic in Mexico, the Scantibodies Imaging and Therapy Center, every patient who comes has two questions for the doctor who's prescribing the treatment that they're gonna receive. The first question is, how long is the therapy gonna last? How long do they have to keep coming back? And the second question is, what is the therapy? It's the same, it's the same. All, all patients have the same question. Now God, the great physician, has prescribed the best treatment for Moses to rid him of this infection of the wisdom of this world. And the first question is, how long is the treatment gonna last for Moses? Well, it's given to us in Exodus 2.23, and it came to pass in process today, the process of days. So Moses' severe treatment, it lasted, as we said, for 40 years. It took God 40 years to clean out of Moses the wisdom of this world. And the second question is, about Moses' severe therapy of what the treatment was that was given is in Exodus 3.1. Moses kept the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert, came to the mountain of God. So Moses' severe therapy was for him to go to the backside of the desert. And what's the therapeutic value to be on the backside of the desert for 40 years? What's so good about the backside of the desert? Moses was there for 40 years. Well, on the back side of the desert, everything that is seen really is what it is. The back side of the desert is reality. I remember one time spending a week on our 12-acre compound in Boudijur, outside of Boudijur, in the countryside of Ethiopia. There with no electricity, but just wonderful people who were more concerned about food and staying alive and not becoming infected with malaria and HIV and so forth they were more concerned about that rather than if Apple was going to release their 128 gig version of the iPhone. And when I arrived, my first thought when I got there, the countryside of Ethiopia was, how soon can I get out of here? How soon can I leave? But then when it was time to leave, 
I asked, how soon can I return? How soon can I come back? And when I got back to the States, I remember a doctor friend of mine said to me, welcome back to reality. And it just hit me when he said that, welcome back to reality. I mean, that friend drives a $120,000 two-seat sports car, lives in a multi-million dollar home. And I said to him, no, this is not reality. Life in the countryside of Ethiopia, that's reality. Because life in the countryside of Ethiopia is like the backside of the desert. The backside of the desert is where there are no false colors. There's no glitter. There's no sparkle of Las Vegas. The sand is not gilded. It's just sand. There's no excitement from the world's schemes on the backside of the desert. There's no hustle and bustle and, and the, uh, of, of, of Egypt's marketplace on the backside of the desert. There's no rise and fall of world monetary markets on the backside of the desert. There's no fighting for ambition there. There's no thirst for gold and wealth out there. No one is on the backside of the desert applauding Moses. No one's there elating his ego. Moses' heart is not swelling with pride on the backside of the desert. On the backside of the desert, Moses does not feel the pull and the tug of the lust of his heart. On the backside of the desert, Moses has found that the world just died. There, Moses has found that everything that it would otherwise take him away, distract him, lure him, lure his soul away, is all easily set aside. He can easily set all that aside. And the only presence that can easily be sensed on the backside of the desert is the presence of God. And the only thoughts that can be easily received on the backside of the desert are the thoughts of God. And the only voice that can easily be heard on the backside of the desert is the voice of God. That was the therapy that God prescribed for Moses. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound like a great therapy? Wouldn't you like to have that therapy every day? That's exactly what God has prescribed for us. Exactly. He's, God has said exactly what our morning quiet time with God is supposed to be. In the morning, when we've just woke up and our minds are clear, we have a decision. David put it this way. In the morning, he would direct his prayer unto God. In the morning, right in that time when we've just woke up and our minds are clear, that's a time when we open our eyes and at that moment, just for that second, we don't know where we are. We don't know where we've woken up. That's the time when we can take, we can say to God, Lord, let's you and I take a little trip this morning to the backside of the desert. Lord, let's stay here this morning in the backside of the desert until the world dies within me. Lord, let's stay here until sin and sense molest no more. Those are the words, sin and sense molest no more, are from the hymn, from every stormy wind that blows. And it describes so well what happens when we use the morning quiet time for a time alone with God and we go with God to the backside of the desert some of the words of that hymn are from every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes, there is a calm, 
a sure retreat, tis found beneath the mercy seat. There, there, on eagles' wings we soar, and time and sense seem all no more. And heaven comes down our souls to greet, glory crowns the mercy seat. Ah, there, on eagle wings we soar, and sin and sense molest no more. And heaven come down our souls to greet, while glory crowns the mercy seat. See, the morning time alone with God on the backside of the desert is not a time to rush in and rush out of. And sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it just takes a while for the world to die within us. Sometimes it takes a while for distractions to become silenced. Sometimes it takes a while. It took Moses 40 years for Moses to see the world and his pride die inside of him. And when we come to our morning devotion time, we will never hear these words from God. God will never say to us, come on, let's get this over. I got a lot of things to do today. I can't spend much time with you now, so let's get on with it. God will never say those words. He will never say that. Why? Because when it comes to us spending time with God, God is in no hurry. God has time. It's us that's in the hurry. We're the ones who are saying to God, come on, let's get on with this. Let's get this over. I got a lot of things to do today. I can't spend much time with you here, so let's get on with it. But the day when Moses walked off the backside of that desert for the last time, Moses was not the same man. Moses was changed. He was not the same as the first day when he walked onto the backside of the desert. Moses was a changed man. And when Moses arrived for the first time on the backside of the desert, Moses was, you would describe him in Acts 7.22, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And Moses knew he was mighty in words and deeds and learned in all the wisdom. And when Moses first entered the school of the backside of the desert, Moses was proud. And when Moses left for the last time the school of the backside of the desert, Moses was described with not the words of 722, but now he is described with the words of Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. So you can look at it like this. After a 40-year course in the school of the backside of the desert, Moses has graduated, and God gives Moses his diploma at his graduation, and his diploma reads, the meekest man on the face of the earth. Moses graduated a humble man. Moses entered the school of the backside of the desert a proud man, but he graduated a humble man. The school of the backside of the desert was critical in Moses' life. The school of the backside of the desert was one of three sections in Moses' life. Each section is 40 years. At the end of his first 40 years, when he enters the school of the backside of the desert, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter had been in the past, Moses learned that Moses was everything. And at the end of the second 40 years, when he graduates from the school of the backside of the desert, Moses has learned that Moses is nothing. And at the end of the final 40 years of Moses' life, 
where he's had to rely on God in the most difficult situations to lead Israel out of Egypt, Moses will learn that God is everything. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 